All right, folks, welcome to Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. Those of you who have been with our show for a while know that our show is a video show that we normally record in a TV studio, and it takes a while to edit all that footage and get it up to our YouTube channel. So a lot of times, by the time our full episodes are out there, um, there might have been developments in some of the headlines we've discussed or, or what have you. So passing period, we do this sometimes in between full episodes just for the podcast listeners because it doesn't take nearly as much time to edit the audio. And this passing period is a special one that we wanted to put out there in response to the developments of this week, particularly um, the situation in Minnesota. Now, we just released a full episode with Joe Truss, um, which we recorded before the events have transpired in Minnesota and elsewhere um, this week. And that episode, we talked about equity in the time of COVID-19 and sort of what we need to be mindful of going back to school this fall. So if this is your first time streaming our podcast, you might notice that this is dropping really right on the um, on the heels of our last full episode. And we normally don't do that. We normally, you know, space content out um, quite a bit. But the events that are transpiring across the nation, like we can't just um, sit back and, and not say anything. There's there's so much so much that we want to discuss, especially through the lens of of being educators. And Jeff, you know, folks who have seen this show on our YouTube channel, um, since we've been recording these socially distanced episodes, they've seen the the maps of, of Brooklyn and the Bronx behind you. And of course, you've shared about starting your, your teaching roots in New York City, but you hail from the great state of Minnesota. So Minnesota has largely been at the the epicenter of events this week with regards to protests against police violence. So I wanna wanna throw it to you as the resident Minnesota person on this show. What are you thinking right now about what's going on? Yeah, man, well, it is, I, it, this is such a wild time, man. And uh, it's it's funny you mentioned the the um, the maps behind me when we, when we film, because I film in the living room. Uh, where I have my little New York corner, but uh, in my bedroom, <laughs> I have a Minneapolis and a St. Paul version of the same of the same maps, uh, which is you know sort of my my hometown corner. And um, yeah, I'm I'm filled with so many emotions because obviously, like I think anyone who's got any type of moral center around the country, what we what we've seen in this sort of like back to back to back rash of cases with black folks being murdered in the street, murdered while sleeping in their home, um, you know, uh, had the cops called on them for no good reason in the park, and now you know tortured and and murdered underneath a police car uh, in the streets of Minneapolis is, you know, in some ways is is just continuation of what we have always seen in this country. And also, you know, is is just sort of like a breaking point uh, on these on these issues of just unrelenting systemic racism and oppression that uh, that are just unsustainable. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up in St. Paul, uh, Minnesota. I have tons of family still in, in St. Paul and, and in Minneapolis. Um, you know, I have lots of friends who are there still. Literally, the, you know, the scenes that we are seeing on the news from, from St. Paul are like down the street where, from where I grew up. And, you know, there are businesses, uh, 
you know, the, the target in St. Paul that they kept showing on the news is like the target that my sister worked at, you know, as, as a teenager. And, um, you know, where we went every week as a family, right? And so there's a, there's a very realness to, uh, you know, to what the images are on the news of like, oh, I know that's my neighborhood, you know, like I, I know that place and know the people there. And so, so it is both, you know, the sense of outrage generally and also the sense of like, man, this is hitting close to home and really um, concern for people's safety. So that's that's real uh, for me right now. And I'm also and you know, more in the spirit of our of our discussion about education. I'm also just really feeling for uh, for kids right now, because what's happening, what they're seeing around them is, um, you know, we have the benefit in this day and age of like very graphic news reporting. Right. We have Facebook live feeds and, you know, live streams and. 24-hour news channels, and you can kind of like see all of this stuff playing out in front of you. But, but I think what we're also realizing is just because you can see it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't remove the like complexity and the questions and the, the need to process that comes with all of that. And I, I just feel for kids because, you know, everyone has friends and family and ways of making sense of the world, of course, outside of school. But I do think school has such an important role to play in kids' lives when they're, you know, when the issues that are being laid out before them are this, are this like soup of complex stuff. You know, structural racism, oppressive policing, economic inequality, pandemic and public health policy and good response or lack thereof, right? Um, you know, white supremacy and alt-right folks infiltrating, you know, a, a protest and, and being provocateurs, um, you know, different social movements that are kind of intersecting, some of which, you know, like Black Lives Matter and some of which are more just like very localized grassroots community folks. Right. And like how all of these things, when poured together and filmed, you know, uh, how that makes sense. And, and I I feel for kids because I, I think we I can imagine them really missing the opportunity to talk to teachers, to talk to their peers, to be in a space where even, you know, schools can be great vehicles for student organizing. Right. And kids thinking about what do we want to do about this? You know, we might be 12 or we might be 14. But do we want to make a statement about this in some way, in a way that is going to be safe and, you know, helpful? Right. Um, and so I think I think that mixture of thoughts is where I'm at. It's kind of hard to make a lot of sense of, of what I'm feeling right now, frankly, just because it's it's so many things at once. But um, but that's that's kind of where I'm at, man. Well, what um, what about you? I know, you know, as a teacher who works on this this exact soup of issues <laughs> with kids all the time, I can imagine you have plenty of thoughts. Yeah, it's tough, man. I mean. Yeah, it's, it's especially tough right now as a teacher not seeing my students. You know, our last day of school um, was Thursday and, you know, distance learning made it to where the last day of school was the most uh, quiet, sorry last day of school ever because you didn't even get to see everybody and give them their, you know, uh, goodbye hugs and all that stuff. Um, so it's tough because I want to be with my students and I want to uh, be with them to help process what's going on. 
and to tie what's going on to what we've been learning all year. And that's the thing. That's that's one thing that keeps it hard for me to be, I guess, hopeful. You know, like I was talking yesterday in a affinity group on Zoom and we were speaking about different, you know, just processing what what we're feeling. And I shared that, like, you know, I try to be hopeful for my students and to to build them up as much as possible for sure. But I'm under no like, you know, misgivings about like this changing anytime in my lifetime because we learn about, you know, the Tulsa massacre and all these things that happened a hundred years ago, 150 years ago. And the parallels are so, so stark and so clear that it's just like, um, you know, who am I to think this is going to suddenly change in the next 10 years or 15 years or 20 years or whatever. So, so that's, so one part of me is like trying to battle against that sense of like not really having hope. And I try to, you know, maintain a positive, um, positive, I guess, air for others, because I don't want my lack of hope for the future to, you know, stop other people. I'm, I'm very happy to see those who are, are out there thinking that this is going to change sometime, sometime soon. Um, but in any case, aside from that, um, I wish I could be with my students just to um, listen to them. You know, my students are very, very close to these issues. Um, we had a, a kid who would have been my student. He was on, on his way to, to our school. Darius Smith, he was 15 years old when he was killed by an off-duty Border Patrol agent. Um, you know, this 15-year-old kid was was out there with, with his friends, and, you know, I guess they were out there either trying to intimidate people or rob people or whatever. The Border Patrol agent claimed he, he saw a gun, whatever, whatever, shot and killed this 15-year-old kid. And my students who are graduating this year, who I haven't been able to see in person for several months, are the um were his classmates you know so so many of them are really really close to this experience of being black and losing your life over nothing and having your reputation tarnished after the fact and he was just a 15 year old kid you know but all the you know news coverage and everything was about how he was out there robbing people and this and that you know they were making him out to be a monster when he was just he was a middle schooler he was just a kid out there you know whatever and then um, we had another another kid from our city, Kendrick McDade, um, years ago. He was 19-year-old, and um, he was shot and killed by police who were chasing him because somebody called 911 saying that they were robbed, that their laptop was taken. They claimed that the person had a gun, this, that, whatever, whatever. Police showed up, saw Kendrick McDade in the street. It was nighttime, couldn't really see him, whatever. He was running away from them. Uh, they shot him dead and killed him, and I had his family members um, as students. So it's really close to home in that sense. So it's just, uh, as a teacher, just the struggle of dealing with the complex reality of it, like you said, and the, I guess, new element of so much of it being visual and graphic and seeing footage of, of the injustice and seeing footage of, um, whatever provocateurs out there trying to disrupt, um, the protests or escalate the protests and seeing footage of police being overly aggressive and escalating situ uh, situations. And it's just so, so, so difficult. So as a teacher, not that I could even wrap my head around it, but I at least wish I could go through the process of trying to um, make sense of it with my students. Yeah. So does that. But then I guess the my main my main thought is about how schools Play such a giant role in all of this. I mean, school of all the American institutions, like school is one of the ones that I think probably the the greatest percentage of people have experienced directly. I mean, the one of the few things that both the police officers, um, those who've been killed by police, brutalized poli by police, those who are protesting, those who are reacting to the protest, one thing that they all have in common is that they've all experienced school in some kind of way. So they all had teachers. And those teachers had 
a choice of how they were going to address America's long sorted history of racism and white supremacy. And those teachers made choices and those, t those choices directly impacted these people's upbringing. And, you know, I know a lot, a lot of stuff is, is learned at home and learned through the media and whatever, but the majority of our youth is spent in school kind of learning how our social dynamic plays out. Like school tends to be the place where we learn the racial hier hierarchy of our country. School is where we see where white students are so often given the freedom to explore their behavior and explore you know, their childhood and take risks because they're just kids and they're just learning. And then black kids are so often policed and, and disciplined for it. So uh, one thing that I tweeted out was a link to uh, Gloria Latson Billings, who obviously there's a wealth of resources coming from research and resources coming from her and others, but just a, a short article that she wrote back in 2011 about um, black boys specifically and how early the school system tries to make them old. It's called Boys to Men. And basically it's the, the treatment of, of black boys as if they are grown and supposed to know better. And in it, she, she talks about visiting different schools and noticing that the predominantly white schools, those students are free to walk the halls and walk around the classroom. And, and they have a lot of freedom and a lot of um, space to just like explore what it means to be a human being in, in society and act with others and interact with others. But then when she visited predominantly black schools, their bodies were heavily regulated, their space was heavily regulated, a lot of discipline. She talks about seeing a kindergarten teacher who kept, um, kept getting on this one kid who happened to be a black boy um, for being out of his seat. And eventually she kicked him out of class. And there was a white kid who was doing the same thing. And that white kid didn't get addressed at all by this teacher. And um, Gloria Ladson Billings talks about how that she talked to the teacher afterwards and the teacher, you know, claimed to not even realize it. And this, the black boy actually was already done with his work and needed more of a challenge. So he was bored. And, and just this whole concept of like just the differences and how people are treated based on their race. So when you look at something like what happened with George Floyd, or if you look at something like the Amy Cooper situation in, in Central Park, which seems like it was a decade ago already, which, you know, it was just crazy because, I mean, you know, it was a what, Monday um, or Tuesday? It's this sense that, like, if you're white, you have the, the right to do what you want. And if anybody tries to get on you about it, if that person happens to be black, it's like, yo, who are you to tell me what to do? You need, you're the one that needs to fall in line. Like, black people are always the ones who are supposed to just fall in line and be obedient, whereas white people get to um, basically be the authority and have the power. And it, you know, obviously goes back to seeing the difference in police reactions to protests, protests to reopen the country, so-called, and people showing up with assault rifles and shutting down a state house, and those police showing all the restraints, all the, all the just like, um, you know, patience with them. And then, you know, in Minnesota that first night, especially like, you know, folks out there peacefully protesting and, and police out there responding with tear gas and getting aggressive and escalating the situation and, you know, things just getting, getting wilder after that. So it's just a, a matter of us teachers and thinking about what our role is in all of this. And when we see a kid in school who is being disciplined for something that, uh, other kids get away with all the time like we just can't be quiet about that so really my thinking is around how to get more educators to see their role in this because school is the place where these social dynamics and, and hierarchies and our understanding of race really is like marinates so yeah that's where I'm at right now but really I'm all over the place
Yeah, no, it's it's hard not to be all over the place because there's there's just so much happening, right? And I, you know, I think what you the point you made about school being the sort of universal institution in our society, I think is like sometimes we look over that or we think about it as just like you know, well, it's just normal. It's just the thing that everyone experiences, but um, it is also the source of tremendous power, right? And uh, one way to look at our education system, which is the, the kind of dominant paradigm is, you know, look how schools that are poorly funded and schools that mostly serve um, poor kids in rural areas and low-income black and brown kids in urban areas are, are failing, right, or struggling or not quite doing as, you know, as well as they should. And there's plenty to talk about there, right? Um, I, th I think, personally, a, a very helpful paradigm shift, in particular, in this type of moment in time where we are seeing the, the manifestations of racism in individual ways and in deep, problematic, structural ways uh, happen all the time, right before our eyes. And, and they are, in this era of cell phones, being recorded now and captured and shared in rapid succession in new ways that that means we can't ignore them in the way we've all been trained to ignore them. Um, you know, I, th I think the paradigm shift around looking at education is, well, what the hell is happening with all the white people who go to school in this country for, for 13 years, <laughs> almost all of them, you know, in public schools and come out with these just warped, sick ideas of racial hierarchy and white supremacy and feeling empowered to continue that in their adult life, right? And, and we never, ever talk about the failure of education as being about that, as being about the majority right. population in this country has, a, has a, like essentially a deep mental illness that has right. been, you know, that has been rooted in this country for centuries now. And that the only way out of that I am aware of or have, have ever <laughs> seen or heard anything about is education. Right. Yeah. And and yet. <laughs> right. And we all like to talk about how kids aren't born racist and sexist. And, it, you know, they're just, you know, sort of born. Right. And uh, and yet. We, we are not yet having the conversations about the fact that our schools that serve white America, that are mostly segregated schools, are abysmally failing at addressing racism. And, that you know, yeah. you could lump on that sexism and patriarchy and homophobia and, you know, xenophobia and all the, all the isms and obvious, right? Um, but for, for the sake of this conversation, <laughs> you know, uh, right. woefully, horribly addressing these issues of racism. And, um, and yes, it's a family issue, and yes, it's a community issue, and yes, we all have a role to play, um, but all them cops went to school. And, yeah. you know, Amy, whatever, what's her name in New York, she went to school. And, yeah. you know, it was been around a peer group that, that helped nurture and develop those same ideas and it didn't go interrupted, right? And so, so I also think there's like a morally compelling, um, you know, issue before us, which is our society is on fire, 
right now, literally in the case of, you know, many cities. Uh, just here in L.A. Uh, yesterday, uh, there was, you know, a, a unrest downtown and, um, right. you know, and so it's much smaller than what's happening in Minneapolis and St. Paul right now, but certainly it's spreading, right? Atlanta, Denver, New York, um, plenty of cities around the country experiencing similar things. And the, the status quo is unsustainable. It's immoral, it's unjust, it cannot continue. And it's not, you know, it's not something that we can brush under the rug and just assume is gonna go away in a, in a day or two. Yeah. And so as, as a school system, as educators, I think we have a really profound set of moral and ethical questions to answer about how do we address this, right? And as we resume school, you know, in the fall, what are we going to do uh, about this, you know, set of topics, right? Um, that that maybe we need to think even more boldly about than we have historically. Yeah, uh, man, I love what you said there, man. We talk about failing schools, and for sure, one area that they are failing in and have been failing in forever is the responsibility and the duty to really helps uh, help students of, of all backgrounds, but particularly white backgrounds, to um, not fall into this, this, this myth of white supremacy and this, this belief in, in whiteness as being um, the pinnacle of American society. And, you know, if education is the solution, if folks need to, you know, I've seen folks talk about like, you know, uh, tweeting out lists of books that, that white folks could read to understand black pain and this and that. It's just like, all right, so if education is the key, damn, 13 years of schooling and you go out into society and you still think like that Trump is right in this way and you still think that, um, you know, black folks are just be playing the victim card and this and that, like, that's where schools are failing for sure. So where's that standardized test, Jeff? Where's that test that folks have to um, to show proficiency in understanding race and racism in American society. Mm. Like that is one exit <laughs> exam that I would definitely support, that, you know, for you to get your high be, school graduation. That would be a dope standardized test, man. Can you imagine That's, if you had, if you had to show your like racial competence in order to get into college? <laughs> Dude, that'd be, that'd be great. That would I be mean, outstanding. I, can we please work on it? But you know, the reaction to that would simply be for folks who like continue <laughs> to push for the defunding of public education because they're trying to indoctrinate this, that, whatever, whatever. Right. And it, it'd be a mess, but that is really the standardized test that we need. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, can you not be a terrible human being who oppresses people? And if you can't do that, maybe you're not ready for the next level. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So all of, all of the above, family and listeners um you know we definitely want to continue these conversations that we, we you know we've been having these conversations about um equity and about thinking about the role that race plays in so much of our our schooling and we've been having these conversations about everything from discipline to grading and how all these things um reinforce the oppressive structures of of our society and reinforce them through our school system. And we're gonna to continue to do that, but for sure, we want to hear from you and we want to know, what are you thinking as educators about going back to school and, and addressing all this? I mean, one thing that I commit myself to is to pressing more educators around me to speak to what are they doing about what's happening, you know? So like, just straight up, like, hey, 
this is this is all in the news. What's your lesson plan for today? How are you dealing with it? And and trying to keep folks from just defaulting to the safety of the textbook and the safety of regular core content standards. Um, that's one commitment that I'm making to myself. But I definitely, we both definitely would like to hear from from you all about you know how do we move forward as educators in the midst of all of this. And if you haven't listened to our most recent full episode, the one with Joe Truss. Um, that I suggest you you go listen to that because yes. one thing that you know we recorded that before the uh, events in in Minnesota unfolded, but um, you know the 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 basic understanding of that episode is like look the pan between the pandemic and ongoing white supremacy everywhere like when schools do reopen when we do go back to the schoolhouse we can't go back to business as usual and you know with Joe we we unpack some of the different ways that. Um, we should be rethinking our, our policies and our, our practices in schools. So definitely look for or listen to that episode, watch that episode on YouTube, um, and and let us know what you think. All right. So so that's it for this this passing period. Um, I know on my part, I've been I've been rambling a bit. My mind is all over the place, and it's hard to articulate all the the sadness and rage that I am feeling right now. But I've done my best, and I appreciate your patience with that. All right, so that's it for this week's passing period. Go ahead, get to class. <laughs>